1, we're going to begin reading today at verse number 18. I'll read from 18 through verse number 23. That's going to be our primary text. We'll be going to some other places, so I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles handy or something with your Bibles on it. Keep it handy so that we can uh, see what God's truth is saying to us. How many believe God's Word is His absolute truth? It's His direction for our lives. It shows us His deity. It shows us in description who He is. And so we will always want to take God's Word and make application to ourselves because that's what makes all the difference. I believe the preaching of the Word of God coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is still changing hearts and changing lives. And it can change mine this morning and it can change yours this morning if we'll take it and apply it to ourselves. So let's look at what God's Word says to us. Starting in the 18th verse, Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know about you, but I am thankful in times when we don't know what to do, where to turn, or what's going on, God is able to speak directly to us in our time of need. He's able to give us direction in ways that only he can direct. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph. I can only imagine what this man is going through, knowing that he had never known his wife physically speaking. Um, they had never consummated their marriage. Listen, he knew her being pregnant, that could cause him a lot of problems and certainly cause her a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, she could have been stoned to death if Joseph would have made public what he knew to be private like the angel told him. And so you need to understand this morning, folks, that um, God is able to give you direction in the dark times of your life. And I, I'm just, as I read into this scripture and kind of read in between the lines, I'm sure that was a dark time for Joseph when he knew he hadn't physically been with his wife, but she was pregnant. God came to him in a time that he needed it most. And gave him clear direction. What a blessing that truly is. He still does the same for us. And the angel said to Joseph, That which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Ghost. It's the Son of God. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. There's power in that name. Do you know that? There's life-changing power in the name of Jesus. There's mountain-moving power in the name of Jesus. There's dead raising power in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter four and verse number 12. Peter says there is no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus tells us what he did. The Bible says that his name was Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Now listen to me, folks. Jesus in the Hebrew is the word Yahshua. Yahshua in the Hebrew means the one who saves. And so Jesus means 
Savior. He is the Savior of the world. If you believe it this morning, say amen. Yeah, that's what God's Word's teaching us. Jesus tells us what He did. Look at verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Do you see it? So the Bible gives us two names here for Jesus. First of all, it says his name would be Jesus, Yahshua in the Hebrew, which means one who saves. And then it says his name will be Emmanuel. Now, Jesus tells us, tells us what he does. He's our Savior. Emmanuel tells us who he is. He's God with us. It describes for us his character, his essence, his personhood in the Trinity. He is God the Son, yet He is the Son of God. He's the God-man. The word Emmanuel in the Hebrew means El, it's El Gabor. And what that means is the God-man, Jesus, became flesh to dwell among men so that He might do for men what men cannot do. He came for us. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, verse 24, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for these people that are here this morning. I don't believe it's by accident, Lord, that any of us are here, but I believe it's by your sovereign will that you've brought us all to this place. And Lord, I'm praying that as your message goes out, it goes out to speak to hearts and change lives, to convict where conviction is needed, and to comfort where comfort is needed. For you know what we need better than we know ourselves. So if there be one here that's lost, may today be the day of salvation. If there be those that are saved but are hurting, may you comfort them today for you are our wonderful counselor. Lord, we need you this morning. Help us to be what you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do by your power. Holy Spirit, have your way and will. Fill me up, pour me out. Use me today, I pray, Lord Jesus, for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. At the beginning of this month, the first message that I preached to you, I talked to you about describing the indescribable gift. Do you remember that? We, we looked at a, a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse number 15, where the Apostle Paul spoke of the gift of grace that God has given. And he says, it's an inexplainable gift. It's an indescribable gift. Now, how many of you understand that Jesus is God's greatest gift of grace? And if you're going to describe this indescribable gift, then you've got to make the G grace. <laughs> G has to stand for grace in gift, because listen to me, folks, like I've said to you before, the best way I know to spell Christmas is G-R-A-C-E. That's what it's all about. God showing His grace to a lost and dying world. I remember one of my favorite um, uh, gospel groups years ago was a group by the name of Charles Johnson and the Revivers. Does anybody ever remember Charles Johnson and the Revivers? I love their music, but I remember him saying something before one of the songs that they sang. And he said this, he said, God in heaven looked down and saw in the earth there was a mess. 
And he knew the only way that he could fix this mess in earth is that if he sent his son to do for us what we couldn't do. And he's right. God saw our mess. And listen, by his grace at Christmas time, he sent us the answer. And the answer to our mess, to our problem, the answer for this world is Jesus. It's Jesus. Listen, grace is all about Jesus coming to do for us what we didn't deserve. That's what grace is. It's God's undeserved favor toward us. It was shown to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know none of us deserve what Jesus did for us? None of us deserve him leaving the splendor of heaven and coming to this sinful world. None of us deserve him being mocked and ridiculed and spit upon. None of us deserve him being nailed to a cross, not for his wrong, but for our wrong. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. But by God's grace, he's given us undeserved favor. Jesus is the person of grace. His purpose for coming to this earth was the amazing matchless grace of God. We are the people of grace if we accepted this free gift. Praise God, this ought to be the place of grace. Amen? You can't talk about Christmas if you don't talk about grace. So G has to stand for grace. Well, if G stands for grace, what does the I in gift stand for? It stands for incarnation. Incarnation. You've got to talk about the incarnation if you're going to tell properly the Christmas story. That's what it's all about. The word incarnation, if you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to find that it means one who personifies deity, a person who embodies deity in the flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was God before Bethlehem, but at Bethlehem, he became flesh. He was God before Bethlehem, but at Bethlehem, he became flesh. That's the Christmas message. God incarnate in the flesh. The scripture says in the book of John, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's just flip over there and read that. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 1. I want to flip over to John chapter 1. And notice how John describes the Lord here. I love it. He uses the word, word to describe who Jesus is. Now that's what it means, and we've looked at that several times before, and I don't have time this morning to go over that again, but to make it easier for all of us to understand, let's read this like John intended. When he says word, he's meaning Jesus, okay? So let's look at John chapter 1, and, and we're going to read um, what the Bible says. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now watch this. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now look down, if you will, at verse number 14. And Jesus, or the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Watch this now. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was God. Jesus created all things. He was God in the beginning, long before Adam. He listened. He revealed himself as God as he dwelt in the flesh 
on this earth, he is still God this morning sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's never ceased to be God. Do you understand me? He is El Gabor, the God-man. He's full of grace, but he's full of truth. If all you have is grace, you have a license for sin. If all you have is truth, you can't have any grace. You must have truth to realize the holiness of God because God does have a standard of truth. But you must have grace to know God personally because we ourselves in our sin are separated from him. Jesus is full of grace and truth. I'm so thankful for that. He is the word made flesh. God incarnate. Now, the Bible told us in Matthew 1.23 that he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. I want you to think about what that means for just a moment. God with us. There's four things that I want you to see this morning. God with us, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is also God for us. Jesus is God in us. And Jesus is God above us. But let's, what's it mean when we say Jesus is God with us? There's two specific times that Jesus is with us. Now, you need to understand, I'm talking to this morning the blood-bought, born-again Christ follower. I'm talking to those who know you've been born again into God's family. You've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. You know God the Holy Spirit once upon a time convicted your heart, let you know your need for a Savior, and you trusted fully in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. If that's you this morning, I'm talking to you. All right? The Bible promises in Hebrews 13, 5, for the Christ follower, the Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that God is with us, amen, Emmanuel, God with us, at two specific times. First of all, he's with us in good times. Can you say amen? Now, how many of you glad of it? How many of y'all thankful for good times? Let me tell you something. You ought to be thankful for good times. You better be thankful for good times because times ain't always going to be good. We really see how good the good times are when we experience some of the bad times. So when you have those good times, be thankful for them. When you have those good times, praise God for them because it's a gift that came straight from Him. When you experience those good times, realize God's grace is alive and well in your life. I was sitting around the table just Friday night. We had a family gathering. My brother, his birthday was that day. We was all sitting around the table eating and just enjoying one another's company. And there was one time in the middle of all of that that everybody was laughing so hard they couldn't get a breath. And in the middle of that, I thought, man, thank you, Lord, for this good time. You see, I've seen times when everybody was crying so hard they couldn't get a breath. So I'm so thankful for the good times. 
Oh, it's so good. I, I sat there and I just thought, thank you, Jesus. In the middle of all of it, I, I can't remember if it was my wife or my brother's wife said that they were going to help my mom clean up all the stuff there. And she said, no, 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 don't, 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 even, don't worry about that. Leave it right where it's at. Don't you touch it. We can do that anytime. Just enjoy this. Just enjoy one another. Just keep talking. I want to hear you talk. And I thought about that a lot after I left. And I thought, man, she just wants in that time to remain where it's at. She, she don't want to allow things that don't really matter to hinder those things that do matter. She realized that precious moment right then. Because that's what good times are made of, precious moments. And they go by so quickly. And so what she was saying is, don't worry about the stuff that don't matter. We'll clean up later. Take care of the things that do matter. Now let me tell you something. Listen to me, mamas and daddies. You better start taking care of the things that do matter. You better start enjoying those precious moments that you have because you ain't always going to have them. You never know when this is the last precious moment you have with someone. Enjoy it. Treasure it. Don't worry about the stuff that don't matter. But man, pay close attention to the stuff that does. Precious moments make up the good times. And I'm thankful God blesses us with good times. And because he is good, he makes the good times good. I'm thankful for it. But now listen, not only is God with us, not only is he Emmanuel in the good times, but he's with us in the bad times. And, and you're going to have some of those too. As long as you're living in this world, it's going to happen. As long as you're living in a creation marred by sin, you're going to experience some bad times. Some times that you feel as though the life is, is jerk, is, is snuck up behind you and jerked the rug up from under your feet and you fell flat on your face and you wonder, God, why does this happen? Why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? You're going to experience that. You're going to experience times of despair. I have. Man, I, I, when, when you lose loved ones in your life that are dear, near and dear to you, that's a despair like you, I, I can't even describe to you really. But, but I'm thankful I know that in those times, listen to me now, he's with me. I know it. There'll be times of doubt in your life. You doubt whether or not God loves you like he promises he does. You'll doubt whether or not God's word is real or not. See, th there's times that that may happen, but I'm thankful he's with us in times of doubt. You say, Brother you mean you go through times of doubt, don't we all? I mean, my goodness, let, let's just be honest this morning. I know we all sometimes try to act so super spiritual and we don't have any troubles, we don't have any questions, we don't have anything going on. We, we've got it all figured out. We walk in here like everything's hunky-dory and hallelujah all the time. We got this big smile on our face and there ain't nothing wrong with us. And that's how we want to portray ourselves. But the truth is we all go through times of despair. We all go through times of doubt. We do. You remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, this brother right here is the one that baptized Jesus. He actually saw the Holy Spirit of God descend from heaven and light upon Jesus. He actually heard God the Father speak from the heavens. Listen to me. He audibly heard it. God the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John is the one who looked at Jesus and he said to his disciples, behold, look. 
That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is the one who said to the religious leaders, I must decrease so that he must increase. Yet, when John was in prison, what did he do? The Bible says he began to doubt. And he told his disciples, go and ask Jesus, is he the one that's been promised by the prophets? Or do we look for another? I'm thankful. Jesus said, you go back and tell him. The blind received their sight. The poor had the gospel preached unto them. You go back and tell him, all of those things the prophet said are being fulfilled in me. Let me tell you why he said that. Because he's with us in times of doubt. Despair. Discouragement. Anybody ever get discouraged? Do you ever get discouraged that maybe life just didn't figure that didn't pan out for you like you planned for it to pan out? That ever happened? Sometimes it does, don't it? You get to thinking about what could have been, what might have been, what's supposed to have been, and you just you get discouraged, man. I'm so thankful that He is the lifter of my head. He's with us in times of discouragement. He's the friend. The book of Proverbs says that sticks closer than a brother. He's with us in times of discouragement. He's with us in times of depression. You say, brother, do you mean to tell me that Christians can go through times of depression? Absolutely, they can. Matter of fact, the man after God's own heart, I believe, battled depression regularly. Go back and read the book of Psalms. One thing I love about David, when he's up, he tells you how up he is and how much he loves the Lord and how much he's praising the Lord. But there's times he's really down. And he says, my soul is downtrodden. He says, I feel like you broke my bones on the inside, God. You know what I think he's describing? Depression. In times of depression, God is with us. If we know him. Do you know him? That's the question. He's with us in good times. He's with us in bad times. But do you know him? Do you know him? See, remember, I'm talking about the blood-brought, born-again believer. God promises he never leaves nor forsakes you. Now, if you don't know him, if you've not yet made the decision to follow Christ, what are you waiting on? Because you're going to go through all this stuff. You need somebody to help you along. It's amazing how God puts people in your path at, right at the right time. I was preparing for this message this week. I had to go back to the doctor Friday. And I had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I got there about 7.45, was sitting in the waiting room. An older gentleman comes in and sits down beside me and starts talking. We just have a great conversation sitting there, me and him. We was talking about Christmas time and everything going on in the world. We solved a lot of the world's problems just sitting right there in that doctor's office. Had a good time talking, I really did. And, and you know how you, there's a kinship between believers. Your spirit bears with theirs. It really does. And the whole time, he never said that he was a believer, but I just, I just sensed it. I, I could just tell there's something different about this guy. You know, so we kept talking back and forth, and, I, and, and we got talking about Christmas. He said, man, I love Christmas. At Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. He said, I cannot wait for Christmas every time. He said, but it, he said, for the last four years, it's been tough. He said, four years ago, I lost my wife. He said, we've been married for 44 years. And he said, I've loved her all those 44 years. He said, I still love her. He said, but Christmas time, even though it's so special to me, he said, man, it's very lonely too. 
And I'll never forget what this brother said, man. I felt like shouting in the waiting room. He said, I miss her so bad right now. He said, my heart breaks that she's not with me right now. He said, but I'm so thankful I know Jesus. He said, he never leaves me. And he never forsakes me. And I know in my loneliness, he's with me. And I thought, my goodness. That's what it means in Matthew 1, 23. That's what it says. God is with us in two specific times, good and bad. Amen? Oh, it's good to know him. God is with us, but do you know God is in us? He's in us. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because we looked at this three weeks ago, but I do want you to write the scriptures down. John chapter 14, verses 16 Jesus promises that he's going to pray to God the Father that the Father would send them another comforter, one likened to himself that will come alongside and help us. Amen? And he tells that to his disciples because at the beginning of the upper room discourse in John chapter 13, he says to his disciples, where I'm going, you can't come. I'm fixing to leave. I'm fixing to glorify my Father fulfilling his plan upon this earth. I'm fixing to write the plan of salvation because I'm the man of salvation. I'm going to do that, glorify the Father, then I'm going back to him. But where I'm going, you cannot come. You'll find that in John 13, 33 through 35. You can go back and read it. But then he says, when I leave, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to fear because I'm going to send another one back just like myself to come alongside and help you. He's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. In you. You know Jesus is God in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you know Jesus lives in every believer by the person of the Holy Spirit? Do you know we've we we got this treasure in earthen vessels? Do you know God works on us, works in us, and works through us to accomplish His good will and purpose in this earth so that we might be His hands and His feet and His body? Do you know, do you know that I'm crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I, but Christ lives in me. Dr. Johnny Mays says something that I love. One of my favorite preachers, this is what he says. He says, my body his life. Everybody say that with me. My body. His life. That's what he wants. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. The life of Jesus will be evident in and through us as we are controlled by the precious, powerful, personal Holy Spirit. He's God in us. God with us, but he's God for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 tells me that. Romans 8, 15 says that he's not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You say, brother, what's the world's I got to do with God for us? Well, I think if you're a parent, you understand. See, what that scripture is saying is that God is my Father. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because I've trusted fully in the finished work of King Jesus. Amen? 
Now I've been adopted into the beloved. Now I'm a son of the Most High. And as an adopted son, I hold the same privileges as blood kin. Because ultimately we are blood kin. The blood of Christ has been applied to my heart and life by faith in Him. And so now I'm a child of God. And any parent worth their salt knows that you're for your babies. Aren't you for them? I'm for mine. Listen, I I may not always be for what they do or what they don't do. I may not always be for the decisions and choices that they make. But I'll tell you this, I'm always for them. I may not be for all that other stuff, but I'm for them. And I'm thankful God is my Father, therefore He is for me. The Scripture says in the book of Psalms that the people of faith are the apple of God's eye. (laughs) What is the apple of the eye? What does that mean? It's your eyeball. The apple of the eye is the eyeball. Now, let me ask you something. Won't you do everything you can to protect your eyeball? Y'all have seen me trying to get contacts, I'm telling you. I tried them for a little while, but I, I struggle with that bad. I can remember sitting in the, in the eye doctor and, and the, the lady trying to show me how to put contacts in my eye. And it was like I was going in for open heart surgery. I mean, I was fighting that woman for everything I could fight to keep her finger out of my eye. And she said, you got to relax. I said, I can't relax. I don't want you touching my eyeball. And then I would try to put them in. And this is so funny. I couldn't even make myself relax. Now, I knew I wasn't going to stick my hand in my eye. I knew I wasn't going to poke my eyeball out. But still, I just could not for some reason get my, I can't do it right. Why? Because I'll do everything I can to protect that apple of my eye. What's God saying? He is your protector. He's your Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He is your lover, your father, the one who loves you, the one who's for you. Because he is with us, he's in us. Because he's with us, he's for us. But he's also God above us. Romans 8.34 tells me that Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the heavenly father. I'm going to uh, read to you something in the book of Acts that really blessed me this morning as I read it, and I hope it does you as well. Acts chapter number 1. So Jesus tells his disciples, really the last parting words before he ascends back to the Father. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 2, or excuse me, verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. Everybody say taken up. Now let me tell you what that means. That means Jesus ascended back to the Father. Do you like those sound effects? That's the best way I know how to describe it. Everybody do it with me. The Bible says he was standing there after having been resurrected from the dead. He had been there 40 days. 
teaching and preaching being seen of over 500 people. And then when it became time, he ascended right back to the Father. Now, I don't know what all the entails. I don't. But let me tell you what fires me up about it. The Bible says one day I'm going to If Jesus raptures his church, I'm going to And you will too. Isn't that exciting? Wow. He ascended back to the Heavenly Father after doing the work that he was sent to do. Verse 9 says, When he had spoken the things they needed to tell them, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly up, up into heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so in like manner come back, as you have seen him go into the heaven. So now, what's he, what are they saying? They're saying that Jesus will return just like he left. What a promise. They're saying that we will go with him. What a promise. Who's saying it? Who are these two men? This is a great question asked me by our youth class, and it's, uh, I'm glad they're thinking, but who are these two men? I think it's two angels. Let me tell you why I say that. The angels were heralds at his birth. Do you remember it? While the shepherds were abiding in the fields, watching over their flocks by night, what happened? The angels and a heavenly host began singing and rejoicing and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men as they told him, told them, excuse me, about the birth of the Savior. They were heralds at his birth, but how many know angels also were heralds at his resurrection? You remember when Mary Magdalene and the other Marys came to the grave on that first Easter morning. Who met them there? It was an angel who said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, for he is risen. And then at his ascension, I believe there's two more angels that lets everybody know he's done the work that he was supposed to do. Now he's going back to his rightful place. He's now seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, Romans 8.34 tells us. And he's seated at the place of authority at the right hand because he has complete authority. He has sovereignty over everything, over everything and everybody. I don't care how pompous, prideful, and arrogant the world leaders are. I don't care how pompous, prideful, and arrogant presidents are and kings are, princes are. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's forever seated above us in the heavenlies. What a blessing. Listen to me. Listen to me. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. And because he's with me, no matter how bad things get, he's still with me. And because he's for me, he causes all things to work together for my good. All things are things we perceive to be good or bad. Because he is in me, even in the midst of trial and tribulation, I can have joy unspeakable, full of glory. I can have peace that passes all understanding. And because he is above me, 
I can lay down on my head, my head on my pillow tonight and not have to worry about what tomorrow holds for I know who holds tomorrow. That's my Jesus. Is he yours? Everybody stand together.